Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 8. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four stories for you about horrific headaches, paranormal pranks, uninvited guests, and faceless fears. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which includes the first two stories... If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. And thank you for your support. It's time to get started, so lock your doors, turn the lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us from author Ariana Victoria. I give you migraines. 
For as long as I can remember, I've had migraines. I wish they were just the sensitive to light and smell kind of migraines. You pop an Excedrin and get on with your life. Nah, I get the completely debilitating ones. They come with a fever, nausea, and little shadows out of the corners of my eyes. That is usually the first clue. I see shadows in the peripheral of my vision. The dark auras eclipse everything out of the corner of my eyes. I know the second I see these floating entities that I need to get into a dark room with a hydrocodone and a cup of chamomile tea. The doctor calls them cluster migraines, but I really have no clue what he means by that. All I know is the pain gets worse every time around. They come about once a month. Then, this last month, things began to change. They become more frequent, increasing in intensity. It started about two weeks ago. The headache was due to come on, and the black wisps were floating around harmlessly in my peripheral, and I knew it was time to get home. My boss was a pretty understanding woman, and being a decent-level public accountant, most of my work could be done at home. With the letter of medical problems from my doctor, my boss usually let me go home at the first sign of a migraine. As soon as I walked into my door, I immediately closed all the curtains, turned off all the lights, and used only a battery-operated candle for necessary lighting. I grabbed the Vicodin from the medicine cabinet and lined the coach with the tea. The only thing to do was sleep it out. Even in the extreme absence of light, I could see the auras moving around violently. With a sudden intensity, the strangest thing of all happened. A loud blaring began in my ears. It was like a tinnitus ringing, but louder than anything I'd ever heard before. I felt the scream rip on my chest, but I couldn't hear it over the deafening ringing. I rolled onto my side and wrapped my pillow I kept on the couch for these days around my head. I prayed the Vicodin would kick in at any moment and knock me out. The blessed darkness came and I slept a heavy sleep. I dreamed of blood and screams, both of which things could be explained by the amount of pain I was in just a while before. Awaking sometime later, the headache was hanging on only by a thread, and the ringing in my ears had dulled down considerably, but was now replaced by a whooshing sound like you hear inside of a conch shell. I went back to bed several hours later, and the next morning the last of the residual headache was gone. Work was as usual. I used some of the time after work that day to catch up on everything that needed to be done the previous day, having done a bit of it between the nap and actually sleeping. As I looked around the area where I worked, I could hear the whispers of those who usually say hi to me first thing in the morning. Ms. Barstow called me into her office shortly after work that day to talk to me, where she scared the hell out of me. Apparently, the nap I took after the headache was longer than a nap. I was out for two days. I couldn't wrap my head around what she was telling me. Look, you're one of the best workers I have. Your co-workers look up to you and the account holders you're responsible for say nothing but the best about you. So I will let this accident go one time. However, this cannot happen again, understood? Ms. Barstow used a kind but stern voice. I just nodded my head in shock of the time that I had lost. 
Did it mix up the Vicodin and the Ambien I have in the cabinet? They look nothing alike and are completely different sizes, but maybe I was more dazed than normal. The whole situation made less and less sense as it went on. The rest of the week was hectic, catching up on the extra day of work I didn't even realize I'd lost. Sunday, I was off, as well as the following Monday. I was just sitting down to watch the game. I love football. And the auras came back. They were darker than usual, swirling more violently than before. More than ever before. It was almost like they were waving at me. The ringing started almost immediately after I noticed the auras. I didn't even make it to the bathroom to grab the painkiller. I just collapsed onto the floor, grabbing my head. The pain was searing from my eardrums, racing across the brain, setting fire to every neuron it crossed. It was as if boiling water was funneled into my skull. I stood up to head to the bathroom. The next thing I knew was darkness engulfing me as I ride through the floor. For the first time in my life, I fainted from pain. There were no dreams, just knowing that even in my sleep, wildfire roared across my gray matter. Awaking, however long later, I doubt I'll ever know. The headache was gone, but both the auras and the tinnitus were still there. The shadows seemed to wave to me. The ringing started to sound like speech, very high-pitched speech. I was losing my ever-loving mind. I called into work and told my boss that I was leaving for an emergency and that I could not make it in for a few days. I was so confused. Why were the auras still there? They came on more frequently, almost every other day. I began alternating between Vicodin and Ambien to sleep and not feel pain, but I'm almost out now. Neither prescription was meant for everyday use. The auras are closer now. I can see the faces. They smile at me and ask me for help. They want out, but when I tell them that I don't know how to release them, they scream so loud for hours and hours. They never stop screaming. The high pitch ringing in my ears, it was only a taste of their volatile voices. I don't know how much more of the screaming I can take. I reached the end of my chain within an hour of screaming this time. In the dining room is my mountain bike. The spokes will be perfect. I take the last Vicodin and Ambien. Heading into the kitchen, I begin boiling the water. Once it has begun to roll, I stick one of the spokes in, letting it stay to clean off the germs and bacteria. With careful precision, I slowly poke the spoke into the ear canal, stopping when I come up to the thin membrane. The screaming is louder now than ever before. With a single quick thrust, I pop through the eardrum, quickly repeating it on the other ear. Silence engulfs me. For the first time in weeks, the screams are gone. I look at the heavy spoon sitting on the counter next to the spoke and boiling water. Soon, I won't see the auras anymore either. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. 
It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our second story this evening is by author Harlan Guthrie, entitled The Prank. When I was growing up, I... Spend nearly every weekend during the summer months at my family's cottage. I didn't really have a choice, and besides, it was family fun. There was a dance at the local pavilion put on by the township, and generally speaking, a fair number of people attended, the sum of which was made up by the plethora of random people. Teens, some elderly, the Huron cottage dwellers, and a handful of city folks just trying to let loose, well... Cotton-eyed Joe blared over the sound system. My family fell into the latter category. Our cottage is set off a small lake fairly deep within the woods. You can walk almost any direction for a few miles before running into anything of substance. I imagined that it's part of the reason that my parents picked it. The cottage itself was actually built on the land my dad bought, brick by brick over a number of years, so we've all grown up with it. The cottage was constructed in the typical dollhouse shape. At least that's what we called it when we were kids. It had no basement, but did have a couple of other really cool features, including natural rock on the ground floor, which is what the house was built on. Another thing we loved as kids were the skylights in the upstairs bedrooms. Since there is no light pollution up north, You can lay in bed and fall asleep staring at the stars. Being safe and warm inside was a wonderful way to view that world, especially with a dad like ours who insisted on telling spooky stories around the campfire and had a penchant for playing pranks on his children. For the first few years of my time at the cottage, I was convinced that it was built on a Native American burial ground. Every summer, my dad used to tell a story of how a creature would crawl out of the lake and search for children to eat. Looking back, I get that it's all in good fun, but let me tell you that as a child, there were a lot of sleepless nights at our cottage. When we were younger, we loved going to the local dances, sliding around in our socks on the waxed pavilion floor, trying to look cool in front of the other older kids who had been dragged to the dance on Saturday nights. We actually had to drive past the pavilion itself on our way to and from the cottage, so to get back out of it on Saturday night, you have to drive maybe 15 minutes back down a winding, one-way road which twisted and turned towards our summer home away from home. And the road itself was surrounded by trees, so any slight deviation in the path could lead to a head-on collision with a tree. This can be especially dangerous at night, after having a few drinks. For that reason alone, the road was no stranger to accidents. 
One night, we were coming back from a dance, maybe around 11 o'clock. Part of the deal, after making the one-and-a-half-hour trek to the cottage, was that once we met the one-way winding road just past the pavilion, we were always allowed to take our seatbelts off. Why? I have no idea. It's by far the most dangerous part of the journey. Yet this has always been tradition, to this very day on the rare occasion when I go up there with my friends. Even they know the rule and unclip their seatbelts at the appropriate time. On our way back this particular night, however, my dad had a brilliant idea. And ten minutes out from the cottage, at the darkest point in the road, he let out a curse word. Damn it, he rasped, bit under his breath. What? My mom replied. Even to this day, I don't know whether my mom was playing along or simply just as curious as to what was happening. Either way, it was convincing. Something's up with the car, my dad said in his serious voice. Part of what bothered us so much about the cottage road as kids, beside the creepy winding nature of it, was the fact that it was so isolated. Even at an early age, the feeling of being totally alone is a bone-chilling one. After a brief moment and a few more curse words, the car rolled to a stop and the engine cut out. As the lights turned off and the car became bathed in darkness, my brother and I shared a look of absolute panic and fear. All light disappeared in an instant. The road was pitch black, and immediately outside, the world beyond the car became crystal clear. At this point, my mother must have got the joke because she started playing along. Oh no, kids, uh, I think we have to walk back, she said without turning her head towards us, probably because she was grinning. My brother and I shot a look at my sister in the back seat, who at this point was just waking up after passing out at the dance. She's the youngest of the three of us, and of course, the most susceptible to believing Dad's lies. But then and there, I think we all felt like my mom was telling the truth. We kept saying, try the car again. We asked questions like, how can they be dead? And what happened? Is it the tires? The fact that we obviously knew nothing about cars helped my parents sell the lie. After an exasperated sigh from my dad, he turned to us, and in his serious tone that we'd all come to fear after hearing it countless times, he said, Okay, kids, how about... Being stuck in a dying car on a one-way cottage road in the middle of the night as a young child was a terrifying ordeal. Being told that you need to get out and walk home when you also don't really know the way is an even more terrifying situation. Luckily, the eruption of tears from my younger sister was enough to put an end to the joke. My parents didn't dare let their fun end, though, and remained in character. Well, uh, I guess I'll try the car again, my dad said, and sure enough it started up, eliciting a sigh of relief from all three of us. In the moment, we were just glad to be in the safety of the car. They must have felt it was particularly funny because of the frequency they did it from that moment forward. It became a regular thing, and anyone who visited the cottage for the weekend got dragged along to the dance and got a grand showing of the stalled car routine. By the third or fourth time, we'd had all manner of people in the van with us when it happened. Grandparents who played along, friends who nervously acted tough, 
and a slew of aunts and uncles who took my dad up on his offer of getting out and walking home on more than one occasion. Looking back, it was mostly good fun, and I think that's how my family remember it. But that's not the whole story. This, this next part, I never told anyone. As I said, we never wore our seatbelts on this country road, and once this was realized by everyone coming with us to the dance, the prime seating for the children became the trunk. The van had a large rear window, as most family vans do, and seeing the red lights of the van illuminate the road behind us as we drove the twisted trail home was exhilarating. That, and it was just so neat to watch the road trail out before you. My best friend, Tommy, and I were maybe 11 at the time, old enough to know things are jokes, but young enough to still get rattled, and when the time came to pile into the van, to take the winding road back to the cottage, we sat in trunk. Tom and I sat in the back seat and watched the road barrel away from us as my dad took us back to the cottage, and as if on cue, a familiar sound came the front seat. Damn it, my dad said under his breath. To my brother, sister, and I, we knew what this meant. However, no matter how many times it had happened, it still unnerved me. Maybe because just the idea of being stuck in the woods terrified me. Or maybe because each time my dad would add another level of tension, such as a longer wait, getting out and checking something under the car, or sometimes actually making us get out. This time was different. The car rolled to a stop and he turned off the ignition. I turned toward the front of the car and saw Dad putting on a show for my sister and her friend, while my brother, being almost 14, probably tried helping my dad weave his tail. I watched them for a few minutes as the silent woods creaked around us with each gust of wind outside the car, and eventually I turned back to Tommy, who was staring out the back of the van. All the color was drained from his face. Tommy, I said almost in a hushed voice of concern. He didn't stir, he just kept staring out the back of the window as the front of the van continued their routine. I saw tears well up in his eyes, and I turned to see what he was looking at. To this day, I wish I hadn't because it still eats at me. On the cusp of the woods behind the van stood something staring at. Here is exactly what I remember. Believe me or don't, I don't care. It was the height of a man, that's for sure, because it had one hand on the tree. Its skin was loose and hanging from its body. Its hands only had three very long fingers and were covered in dirt and what I can only imagine now was wet blood. Above all else, what struck me the most were the eyes. They were black and empty. They looked devoid of any life. Then it fell to the ground and began crawling towards us on all fours. I cannot fathom what I would have said had I tried to explain myself back then. And for an instant I couldn't speak. I was paralyzed with fear as this creature slowly dragged its loose skin across the dirt road towards us. The silence of the trunk was broken by Tommy who began bawling which, in the moment, I couldn't have thanked him enough for, because hearing that made my sister break out crying as well, based on the situation in the car, not what went on behind it. This signaled the end of my dad's joke, my 
Attention briefly shot to the front of the car to see my dad starting the car and my brother comforting my sister. I quickly turned back to Tommy, who was staring at me as the car started up, and in the instant, a horrible tableau was imprinted in my memory. The red light of the brake lights illuminated the creature's face, which was now inches away from the van's rear window. I screamed, and my dad drove off. In the fading light, we could see the creature fall back onto all fours and begin crawling. Just typing that has made me remember that night more vividly than I wish I had to. No one else saw the creature in the back, and Tommy and I silently went to bed. That night, I tossed and turned. Tommy and I shared one of the bedrooms, and I don't think he slept all night. I did eventually pass out around 3 or 4 a.m., confident that at least I was safe in the cottage, but it wasn't a sound sleep, I remember. When I woke up the next day, Tommy was packed and ready to go, his stuff by the door. The two of us shared a knowing look, but something was wrong. His eyes were bloodshot with fresh tears, and I had a nagging feeling. Eventually, he pulled me aside. Last night, he said, I know, I I saw it too. I said, trying to reassure him, We're leaving today. It never happened. You saw it too? He asked as if he didn't believe me. Yes, of course, I said, concerned. How the hell did you get to sleep then? He asked, almost aggressively. I don't know. I guess I just wanted to stop thinking about it on the road. I said, but he cut me off before I could finish. No, he said, with tears welling in his eyes. I mean, did you see it again last night, in the skylight? To this day, in the bedroom upstairs, you can see the imprint of the creature's three-fingered hand on the glass, the spot where its long fingers stretched out over a small portion of the window, leaving a greasy red stain behind, a constant reminder of the creature that found us after a simple prank my dad played. Ten years went by during which I didn't speak so much as a word to Tommy. Then one day I became convinced that I ought to see what Tommy is doing, maybe reminisce a little bit, talk about the old times, maybe the creature. So I tried getting in touch with my old friend. For all I knew, the creature was put out of his mind, and if that had been the case, I'd have been happy for it. But I needed to ask the questions I was afraid to ask. Did he ever see it again? Did he ever think about it? Was it all a bad dream? I spoke to my wife about what I should do, and she convinced me that seeing this thing through might be for the best. At the very least, I should check up on him and see where it leads. She's beyond understanding, and I couldn't go through this without her. The last I'd heard, Tommy had moved downtown with his girlfriend. I didn't have his number or address or anything like that. In truth, we weren't even acquaintances anymore. I hadn't even added him on Facebook. He got really weird after high school, big into drugs, and became a bit of a recluse. So, after sitting on it for a bit, I thought maybe the best way to get a hold of him was to go through his mom. His mom and I were close, as childhood friends and their parents usually are, when you grow up spending every weekend or even the occasional weekday dinner at their house, you naturally get close. Tommy's mom worked at Home Depot. My wife and I had run into her a few years ago and had some simple chit-chat. This is where I learned about where Tommy, or Tom, 
was now. I often forget that the names we call each other when we're younger usually fade away when we grow up. Hearing his mom call him Tom was a sad awakening to the amount of time that had passed since I last spoke to him. She told me what had been going on in his life, how he didn't talk to them much anymore, that he'd shied away from being as outgoing and as social as he was when we were younger, and I appreciated her talking about him. At that time, I remember not being concerned with the fact that Tommy had changed because, well, people change. But this was years ago. He may not even be living in the country anymore, let alone still downtown with his girlfriend. So, yesterday, after work, I stopped by Home Depot in hopes that she was working. I think part of me hoped that she wasn't. I know this sounds horrible, but put yourself in my shoes. This way, I could use it as an excuse, tell myself that I tried, and just go back home and forget the whole thing ever happened. Unfortunately for me, she was working. When I approached her, I immediately knew something was wrong. We had known each other for over 15 years, and every time I'd seen her during that time, she'd greeted me with a hug, a smile, or at least a polite nod. But today, all I saw on her face was immense sadness. I don't want to go through the exact scene play by play. I'm going to get straight to the point. Tom's dead. He passed away early this year. We're talking months ago. I don't have details on how he died. I didn't ask for obvious reasons. I didn't do his mother the injustice of rushing her through her grief to satisfy my curiosity. Regardless of the fact that Tom and I hadn't spoken in years, he was still my best friend for a good portion of my life. Some would say the most important years of my life. I may be married now and have moved on with my life, but I can't help but feel that I left Tommy behind that I'd ran away, leaving him alone to deal with his pain. Tommy's mom took her dinner break, and we sat in the parking lot talking about him and how amazing he was. I apologized that I hadn't attended his funeral, explaining that I wasn't aware and that I had no idea. She just kindly brushed it off, telling me that they didn't hold a big ceremony. Just immediate family and the girlfriend Tom had been living with attended. I still felt awful for not going, regardless of her exoneration. I think I ended up apologizing for a lot. I just remember saying, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, after everything she said. I'm sure that she found it annoying, but to me it was just my immense guilt seeping out. We sat in silence a long time afterward, before she had to get back to work. She asked me to come by the house more often, as Tommy's dad would like to see me to catch up as well. She said she didn't know why Tom and I stopped talking all those years ago, but she wanted to catch up and have it be like old times. I promised her I'd stop by and catch up, and that was it. She left, and I just sat in my car for a long while. Now, I want to talk about the part that is really bothering me. How all this started... Why this all came out now, of all times. Why I'm retelling this in the first place. What's going on in my life, and what happened that night at the cottage. See, there was no reason for me to drudge up the past. I'm happily married now, with a fulfilling career, and I experience nothing but joy here in my own little world. Why bring up something and stir up all this mess? I had suppressed my memory of the cottage and Tommy, 
and I was happier for it. Until last month, when I started having these dreams, really vivid dreams. After the first dream I had about my grandfather, I started remembering what happened at the cottage and what happened to Tommy and myself because I started seeing the creature again. Thanks for joining me tonight for Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you like what you heard and would like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's episode, which includes two more terrifying tales, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, where you can sign up for a season pass and get access to all 24 ad-free extended episodes from this season, or sign up as a patron for just $5 per month and get access to not just my show, but our network's audio archive of hundreds of previous releases, including premium versions of our other shows, such as the Simply Scary Podcast and Horror Hill. Not only that, but you'll be lending your support to this very program and help me continue bringing nightmares to life each and every week. Thank you very much for your support. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. 
And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.